Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, so we are uh, ready for the second journey. Uh, we've uh, had kind of this uh, spiritual regrouping uh question about the Gentiles being saved in Acts 15, and they've worked through that with courage and uh, with a careful reverence for God's word. And um, the Spirit was the one who sent Paul and Barnabas on the first journey, and uh, this second journey, uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to have the idea, Paul in particular is going to say, hey, let's go and uh, strengthen these churches. Let's, let's go back around and um, we'll see the second journey begin here. That'll take us all the way through Acts 18. Yeah, these guys were um, specifically interested in trying to figure out this whole debate about whether or not the Gentiles should receive salvation without becoming Jews. And um, chapter 15 does a great job explaining all that. So I was glad we got to talk about that last week. But now we kind of pick up in what's kind of the meat of the book of Acts, and it's the preaching trips. Um, We'll pick up in in verse 36 of chapter 15 here, and uh, it'll be the start of the second preaching trip. So let's go ahead and start there. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along uh, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, um... This is just interesting that uh, you know Paul says one day Paul said to Barnabas, you know, and um, they want to go back and strengthen these brothers. And I just appreciate that that Paul and Barnabas would have seen a lot of people, a lot of churches, and they don't forget about them. They're mindful of them. Paul will say in almost every one of his letters, like I'm praying for you, like I remember you day and night in my prayers. So each of these souls are precious to Paul and, of course, are precious to the Lord. Um, he has the heart of Christ in this. And so um, they spend you know, more time at Antioch. Antioch uh, in Syria has been like their home base church. And so the way Luke writes, you don't know exactly how long they spent uh, you know, kind of back at home. Um, now he's like, hey, let's go. Uh, let's take another trip. Unfortunately, they have a sharp disagreement, which just seems so unusual uh, in the book of Acts, that there's not a lot of disagreements going on, Um, but this is more of a personal disagreement about, okay, how are we going to do this trip? Paul and Barnabas were the ones who the Spirit set aside for the first trip, and um, now they are unsure of how to do this. Uh, Yeah, so of course, Barnabas, he wants to take along John Mark um, with them. And the text tells us, it kind of refers us back to Acts 13 on that first missionary journey. Uh, Acts 13 verse 13 says, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. 
course, that's where he was from. That was his hometown. Uh, we, we actually saw John Mark some back in Acts chapter 12, even in Jerusalem. So he, he goes back home to mama. Uh, that's where he wants to go. Uh, I don't know what spooked him. Um, I don't know for what reason. But nonetheless, Paul sees this as abandoning the mission. Um, he says, look, he, he, you know, he did not go, the way this says it at the end of verse 38, he had not gone with them to the work. He didn't go. He, he deserted them. Yeah. And to be fair, like we really don't know why uh, he didn't continue with them. It, it was apparently for a not noble enough reason that Paul was like, hey, he turned his back on the work. Like, we're not, I'm not taking him with me again. Uh, on this trip and Barnabas it's actually interesting and we read in Colossians 4.10 that uh, it looks like John Mark was a a cousin or a relative of some sort to Barnabas and so it may have been like there's a stronger connection there and so Barnabas like no like I really want to take John Mark come on Paul give him a chance you know give him a second chance and Paul is like nope like we need people who are committed Uh, again we don't know how the whole conversation went but um, what they decided to do here, I don't think it's wrong or bad. It, it wasn't wrong that they had a disagreement, but the way they handle it is, well, let's divide and get more work done. And this isn't like, you know, they're withdrawing from each other or starting a different church or something like that. Uh, they're just saying, hey, okay, we can't agree with how to do this work, so let's each do our own work. And um, that's not a bad thing in this circumstance. And I think about, you know, how much more work may have gotten done because they had two groups going out. But what's also interesting to me is that they don't just go by themselves. Jesus sent out his apostles two by two. And in the book of Acts, it's very consistent that people going out to do gospel work go out two at a time. And so Barnabas takes John Mark, possibly his cousin, and they go to Cyprus, which is where they started the first journey. And also where Barnabas was from, so that makes sense. And Paul uh, takes Silas with him. He was one of the guys who had come back from uh, Jerusalem after the whole uh, meeting in Acts 15. Yeah, And to just kind of show that this wasn't a huge falling out or anything, the last letter we have from Paul in 2 Timothy 4, in his closing remarks, he'll talk about that only Luke is with me. But in verse 11 of 2 Timothy 4, he says, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Or for work, you know, like he still has a relationship with John Mark. I don't think it was that he didn't, he didn't like him anymore, or didn't love him as a brother. It's just for this particular trip, Paul still didn't have trust in, in John Mark. Barnabas did, so they divvied up the work and, and went on their way. I also just think you see a difference in the personalities Absolutely. of Paul and Barnabas. One reason they make such a good team is that Paul's Paul's a machine, man. I mean, he is like kind of hard nosed, like. No, dude, like, we're doing this. I mean, this is the guy who is left for dead at Lystra and, like, gets up and goes to the next city. Where Barnabas, he's the guy who got Paul in with the brethren in Jerusalem. He's the guy who went and got Paul and brought him to Antioch. He's the son of encouragement. Yeah. It's literally his name. <laughs> yeah, and, and that will that will come back to bite him at one point. And if you go and read Galatians, he's carried away with Peter's hypocrisy. But every personality type has its strengths and weaknesses, and this may, I don't know if you'd call this a weakness of Paul's personality type, but he's not as patient with John Mark in this moment as Barnabas is. But it doesn't mean that, like you mentioned in Second Timothy, you know, that they're still working together on some level. So um, the uh, brethren send off Paul and Silas. Uh, they commend them to the grace of the Lord in verse 40. 
and that gets us uh, into the, the trip proper. Um, so we'll actually reread verse 41, and um, it kind of starts the trip. We'll go down uh, into chapter 16 here. Acts 15, 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the, to preach the gospel to them. All right, so here they start their their journey. Um, it follows kind of Paul's line of things, and they get to these cities of Derby and Lystra, a couple cities we've already seen uh, in his last trip. And it tells us about this disciple. So he's already a believer in Jesus, baptized believer named Timothy. And he kind of comes from a, a split home in some ways, doesn't he? It looks to be that way. His mom is a Jew and a believer. And then all we know about his father is that he's a Greek. Yeah. It's also notable that Timothy um, had not been circumcised according to the custom of the Jews, um, according to the law of Moses. And so Paul does have Timothy circumcised here because he's going to be working with Jews. Um, and that's going to be a contrast to a, another reference. that One of other, Paul's other co-workers was Titus. And over in Galatians 2, he was a full Gentile. And so he doesn't have him keep the Jewish tradition of circumcision. The thing that interests me here, uh, at least the way I read the text, it tells us that his mom was a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. Uh, the, the way I read that, his mom was a Christian, his dad was not. Um, there might be some listening, but that was the exact situation that you grew up in. Uh, your mom or dad was a Christian and the other wasn't. And you know how it feels to be in that type of household where there's some almost animosity and tension between the parents because of religion and because of Christianity. Uh, that's a hard place to be in. And Timothy knew how that felt from, from the way that I read this. Mm-hmm. And we know a little bit more. His mom's name is Eunice. Uh, we find this out in Second Timothy one five. And man, I mean, hats off to her. She was in a tough spot uh, being married to someone who is different culturally, but also apparently different religiously. Um, and we also find out um, Eunice's mom, Timothy's grandmother, is named Lois, and that she was a Christian. And I just appreciate the influence of these women who were in a tough spot but did not let that be an excuse. They uh, passed on the faith to the next generation, Lois to Eunice, Eunice to Timothy, and Timothy's going to go on to touch, I mean, untold numbers of people. And I just appreciate that. The, the importance of the work in the home is not to be underestimated. 
the long days, I'm sure, that Eunice went through in raising Timothy, instilling faith in him, helping him. And here, being willing to let him go with Paul. I mean, it looks like he's from Lystra. That is the city where Paul was stoned and left for dead. He may well have still had the scars from that. And so when Paul comes back to town, you know, uh, hey, Eunice, um, I'd like to take your son Timothy. Timothy, you know, I know you're a young man. I'd like you to come with me on my trip. Paul, what, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. Are, are you going to get stoned again? I don't know. <laughs> but the amount of faith that Eunice and Timothy had to have for him to go along is just a great example of people not being afraid, um, even though they know what could happen. Uh, you could die on this journey. And yet Eunice lets Timothy go. Timothy goes. I mean, he may have been a teenager at this point. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly how old he was, yeah. but he would could have been a really young man. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on this trip, the, one of the first things we see them doing as they're going through is they deliver these decrees uh, that had been decided upon by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So everything we read about back in chapter 15 is what they're talking about um, with all these churches. And the churches are strengthened in the faith, they're increasing in number daily. And so I'm sure Paul was excited to share that, that, that finding uh, that happened there back in chapter 15. Yeah, and it is possible that uh, Paul has already written uh, to these churches in what we call the book of Galatians, um, and now there's an additional, you know, decision that has been reached that is helpful to them. Like, hey, like we've talked, we've studied this out. Look at what the scriptures say about this. Um, so that's uh, that's helpful. So in verse six, they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region. Um, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, when we hear that, we don't mean like China. That That's not the, mm. the, the, the Asia that's mentioned Mo- here. Modern-day Turkey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the kind of Asia Minor is mm-hmm. often what it would, would have been referred to. Um, and they come to Mycia in verse 7, and they try to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus didn't let them go either uh, there either. And so they pass by Mycia, and then they finally come down to Troas. Uh, and that's when Paul gets this vision in the night. Uh, it's this man from Macedonia. This would have been really interesting, a very interesting vision anyways. I don't know if it was because of his accent or what, like yeah. <laughs> the way he dressed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he had like the Macedonian soccer team symbol on him or something like that. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, but he says, you know, come over to Macedonia, help us. And so Paul sees the vision, and uh, there's that Mark word, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. A pretty good conclusion to make, isn't it, by yeah. the way? <laughs> it is also just interesting that we do have some direct guidance from the Spirit, but, I mean, the Spirit could have just said, hey, go to Macedonia. But it was like, okay, no, don't go to Asia, okay, don't go to Bithynia, well, all right, we come to Troas, and then there's a clear indication that uh, they're to go to Macedonia. So you'll notice, maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, in verse 10, have a bit of a, of a pronoun change, don't we, there in verse 10? Yeah. Uh, Paul, it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Really interesting. The author of the book of Acts at this point hasn't been using those types of pronouns. He, he's been saying, you know, they did this and they went and went into this city and were doing this kind of thing. But all of a sudden, now he inserts himself into the story. Um, I don't know if this is something we talked at length about at the beginning of this series of this season, 
But the author of the book of Acts, as we know it, is Luke. Um, same guy who wrote the, the book of Luke. Both Luke and Acts written to Theophilus. You can see that at the beginning of both books. Um, and Luke comes on the scene here as they're going to go into Macedonia and preach. Yeah. It's really cool to watch for these we sections or us sections of Acts because that is when Luke is an eyewitness to the things that he saw. I mean, he begins the Gospel of Luke by saying, hey, like, I'm not an eyewitness, but, like, I've gotten the accounts from the eyewitnesses. And here in Acts, you actually see, okay, Luke was actually here for this part. And you can actually see the detail kind of pick up a little bit mm -hmm. in those sections. It's pretty cool. Um, so this is just helpful to, uh, to read through this. Let's go ahead and read what they did um, now that they know they need to go into Macedonia. Let's read verses 11 through 15. So putting out to sea from Choaz, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, so um, again, Luke is with them. So there's four guys now, Paul and Silas, the original two. And they've picked up Timothy at Lystra. And now they've picked up Luke at Troas. And they cross over. And again, you can see the detail here, like island hopping as they get over to modern-day Greece. Uh, Macedonia is the region. And they go to a leading city. Paul often will go to like a capital city or a leading city. Uh, my understanding is I think Thessalonica was the capital, but Philippi was a leading city. It's a Roman colony, which will be interesting in just a minute. Um, but they go over there, and they are there for some days. And uh, they go on the Sabbath. It's interesting. They don't actually go to the synagogue, which is like where they'd usually go, the Jewish you know, building of worship. Perhaps there wasn't a synagogue. might be what we should understand from that. Yeah, yeah. And they go down to the river uh, where they... Suppose there's a place of prayer, and there's a group of women there who had come together. One of them's name is Lydia. Uh, she's from Thyatira, mm -hmm. which is one of the seven churches of Asia. Yeah, Asia Minor. Yep. In uh, Revelation. Uh, she's a seller of purple goods, which apparently means she was probably pretty well off. Purple was a, a, a fabric that was kind of a color of royalty. Uh, it was difficult to get the dyes to make the purple fabric. And so um, it's likely that she is well off. Uh, she's a worshiper of God. Same, same description they gave of Cornelius back in Acts 10. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's interesting. And so the Lord opens her heart to hear what Paul is saying, and she's baptized. Her and her household. Again, we never read about her having a husband here. It's not clear if those are like servants or family members or what's going on. But her and her household are baptized, and she invites these four guys, you know, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, stay at my house. And they're like, okay, we'll stay with you. So again, that may also be an indication that she's got lots of places to stay, uh, that she's well off. But it's going to be really interesting to think about the church here in Philippi, because it's going to end up being made up of some very different types of people. Um, 
and we'll see that more here in just a minute. So we get uh, kind of an episode of what happens here in the city of Philippi. Let's read uh, verses 16 through 25. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, so a bit of an interesting episode, like Stephen said uh, right before we, we read the section. Um, they're going to this place of prayer, and here is this, this slave girl. Um, she's got this spirit of divination, and uh, of course, it gives us the note that the people who owned her, she was bringing them a lot of profit by this fortune telling and by this ability. Uh, as you can just imagine, um, seeing th this girl being exploited for this ability she has. And she keeps following Paul and uh, his companions. And notice what she says. These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Um, it's true. <laughs> very true statement. Um, you might remember there were also some other people who were saying the same thing about Jesus. Um, they were also crying out saying, Jesus, the Christ. The, I know who this, you are. That, You're this, the Son of God. You're the Son of the Most High God. Um, and so very similar thing being cried out about Jesus. But we'll remember it was the demons who were saying yeah. those kind of this things is, about again, Jesus. not good PR. It wasn't good PR for Jesus. Not good PR yeah. for Paul. And, and for that reason, Jesus was telling the demons to be quiet when they were saying things like that. You know, don't don't say that about me. Um, and Paul, similarly, he is also annoyed by this. And he turns and says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Uh, the miracle to, to cast this, this thing out was immediate. It wasn't delayed. It happened right then and there. Yeah. And the owners are just so thrilled that finally oh, this, this evil spirit just, is gone. Thank you so much for taking care of our servant and, and casting out this spirit. Uh, uh, quite the opposite. Yeah. They're like, ah, there goes our fortune-telling business. And so this is what sparks the persecution against them. And I mean, really, that's often the case is like people are like, okay, you got your religious stuff, whatever. But now you're messing with my money? Okay, we're, we're done now. So they come after them, they stir up the crowds, and uh, it's kind of interesting how they appeal here. They're like, these men are Jews, you know, like they're different than us, and they're advocating customs that's not lawful for us Romans to practice. They're very proud. It's a Roman colony. If you're born in a Roman colony, you're a Roman citizen. And uh, so that they prided themselves on their Roman citizenship. Wow. 
It's not like we don't see that today, by the way. Mm -hmm. People are often very proud of their citizenship and proud of where they came from. Yeah. I'm not sure which of the customs they were particularly taking offense at. They don't name them here. But whatever it is, they appeal to their pride as Romans and say, these are foreigners. They're they're stirring up people. Maybe the only custom they're familiar with is Paul's ability to cast out these spirits. <laughs> and so they're just like, I don't like you because of this, and we don't like what you're preaching, so just get out of here. Uh, you're, you're on our nerve. Um, and so they, they rise up against Paul and Silas, and um, you know, chief magistrates kind of tear the robes off of them and show how angry they are. And it tells us that they, they did this in order to beat them with rods, and they strike them with many blows. Uh, so Paul and Silas are beaten um, again, something Timothy had to look forward, or had not look forward to, but anticipate this is something Paul had been through before, and it happens on this very trip. Mm-hmm. And so they throw him into prison. Yeah, and it is notable. It's just Paul and Silas they get. Yeah, I don't know right. where Luke and Timothy were that day. But they certainly knew about it. It would certainly be scary to experience. For sure. But verse 25 clearly shows us that it was Paul and Silas who endured these types of things. Yeah, that's right. And so you think about this. You've come to a city... You know that God wants you there because of the vision. And now things have really turned south. Man, I mean, all we did was help the servant girl. And now we're stuck in prison. We're probably bleeding, open wounds. You've been beaten with rods. What would you be doing at midnight? I would be praying, but I'm afraid my prayers would not be the, the, the most thankful prayers. They might be, Lord... How do you expect me to get this job done if you keep having me beaten and thrown in prison? Like how how do you expect me to be able to accomplish uh, the, spreading the gospel like this? But of course, w- what we learn is Paul finds a way to spread the gospel even in prison. That's um, right. And so they're not sitting there throwing themselves a pity party. Uh, they're not they're not just angry at God or anything. In fact, what we learn is uh, that they are praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Um, I love that Luke specifically tells us they're hymns of praise to God. Uh, it, it might be hard to find something to praise God about in that moment, but they are finding things to praise God about. Mm-hmm. That's right. And the prisoners are listening. I mean, you imagine your typical thief or meddler getting thrown in prison. Ah, what are you in for? You know? yeah. <laughs> and it's midnight, and you know, here's these guys, and there's music going on, like, just fascinating the the kind of effect that might have had on the fellow prisoners and it's apparently during this that uh things are going to really change around yeah let's pick up reading in verse 26 um it's my turn right i always forget i think we're back around to me okay you go ahead yeah let's uh let's get verse 25 in again it says but about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to god and the prisoners were listening to them And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and After he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night 
washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, so it's midnight. Paul and Silas are finding joy even in the midst of their suffering, praying, singing hymns, and then the prison is shaken. There's this earthquake, and not just any kind of earthquake, but an earthquake that opens the doors and knocks the chains off of the the prisoners. Um, So it's like complete jailbreak. Somehow nobody makes a break for it, which, I mean, you think about that. I mean, if that ever happened anywhere else, I mean, you'd immediately have a rush for the door. Um, But the jailer wakes up, and he, of course, assumes that's what's happened. He sees the doors open. He was sleeping, and he is ready to end it. Uh, he pulls his sword out to kill himself. Yeah, because he, he would have died uh, if he had been caught um, after all of the prisoners had gotten away. Uh, yeah. Something that we had seen happen similarly when Peter was released. Yeah, back um, in chapter 12, verse 19, those guards were examined and killed. Yeah, that's he, right. He probably figures it's it's going to be better to do this myself than what the Romans are going to do to me yeah. if I lose my prisoners. And Paul comes out quickly with a loud voice, it tells us, rightfully so. Hey, don't harm yourself. We are all here. No one's leaving, man. Don't take your life over us. We're all right here. And so um, he calls for the lights. They rush in. And he is just, man, he is in an emotional state, but he is also convicted. He understands that this was a work of God. And he equates that with needing to ask the question to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And by the way, how do you think he knew who to ask about that? The guys who were singing. Now, he he was sleeping through this part of it, so I don't know how much he'd heard him. But, yeah, and I don't know if he means this in a physical sense or a, a spiritual sense because, I mean, clearly he's expecting that his life is about to be taken. But as Paul is going to do, he's going to take it in the spiritual yeah, sense. Yeah, that's right. And be like, oh, however you meant that, I'm going to take I'm gonna it. I'm going to answer it this Here's what you way. really need to do to be saved. Yeah, so um, for starters, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That is a critical step to salvation and to becoming a Christian is believing in King Jesus, believing in him as not only a person who came and and taught and did miracles, but believing in him as the Christ who died on the cross and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God. And that's why it it elaborates more on what Paul did um, in verse 32, is they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Uh, He he gives more detail about the Lord Jesus. Yeah, and so again, it's the same hour of the night. We're, we're still at like midnight when the earthquake happened and all of this is going on, and they don't wait. 
to be immersed, to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's amazing. You know, he washes their wounds, which is kind of interesting because there's like this washing with water because apparently, again, they were still bleeding. But then let's, he let's, his wounds yeah, are washed. Let's get these guys uh, cleaned up before they baptize me because, <laughs> um, I mean, man, it was they were probably beaten, beaten pretty bad. Yeah. So he washes their wounds, but then his wounds are washed by the blood of Jesus when he is baptized at once, he and all his family. And again, we do just see something about the urgency of baptism here. People aren't waiting or scheduling out their baptisms. Is that when they see the need for salvation, they realize, I need to be forgiven. I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. That's what Peter taught in Acts chapter 2. And I think you see that urgency here in Acts 16 and several other places. We've talked about that before. So you, you just see an immediate connection with him and Paul. Uh, you know, he bring, he goes from being the guy who's like locking them up and keeping an eye on to him to verse 34, brings them into his house. He sets food before them. They're rejoicing because he believed in God with his whole household. You know, they're, they're brothers now in Christ. And he truly sees that connection. Yeah. And I'll just say something. There's something helpful about this passage when we're asking the question, like the jailer, what must I do to be saved? The initial response is you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. You need to put your trust in Jesus. And at the end, it says he rejoiced, along with his whole household, that he had believed in God. He put his trust in God. But what's interesting is we understand from this that believing is not the only thing that they did. Um, yes, they did believe what Paul was teaching them. And, but then they acted on it. And that kind of part of biblical faith or biblical belief is acting on that belief. It's not a faith-only faith, but it is a faithful faith that reacts to what God says and, and does it. And so in this case, their faith resulted in their immediate baptism. <laughs> that was part of this process of what must I do to be saved? Hey, you need to be you need to be baptized tonight. <laughs> and so uh, that's what they do. And I just appreciate that, um, the urgency of, of that. And what's beautiful about this is that this jailer, I don't know how he started the day, <laughs> but he can end the day singing hymns with Paul and Silas, um, even in the midst of all this. What's also interesting to me is that he doesn't like let him go, <laughs> and I'm guessing the other prisoners as well. Yeah, <laughs> to go back around, closing the yeah, doors, and still got to do his job, man. And like, I also it, it's cool to think about Cornel, uh, not Cornelius, sorry, uh, this jailer um, who, by the way, we don't know his name, and Lydia being brothers and sisters in this city now, <laughs> like they're just together. Uh, they're they're the the church in Philippi, um, okay. two very completely different types of households, I would imagine, mm-hmm. but are now united in Jesus Christ. That's right. So the, the next morning, um, the magistrates send the p- local police and say, ah, let him go. You know, I mean, this was kind of a riot that happened the day before. There wasn't a trial. They just kind of beat these guys because they were all riled up. And they're like, all right, you know, kind of we've, we, we, we've you know done you some harm, and now just get out of here. It could be possible too that the jailer has put in a good word for Paul and uh, his the people because they stuck around. They didn't just <laughs> jailbreak. You know, let's get out of here. They stuck mm-hmm. around, so that, that there's probably some of that that plays into it. Yeah. But Paul doesn't go quietly, does he? Uh, yeah, this is kind of surprising when we first read it. Like, well, 
why you got to make a stink about it? You know, they're letting you go. Yeah, man. Like just, just go to the next city. Like you did in all the mothers, like just keep going. But that's not what Paul does. Yeah. He uh, says they've beaten us men who are Roman citizens. Verse 37. Um, without, without a trial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, you've not given a Roman citizen what is due to them. And again, this is Philippi. It's a Roman colony. These people are Roman citizens. They're like, uh-oh. Yeah. And we get that. Like, even today, like, you can't just beat and throw someone in prison without giving them a trial. Like, you have to you have to look at the evidence. You have to weigh it out. If you're, if you're a citizen, that's the way that it works. And so Paul says, no, we're, we're not just going to, you're not just going to send us away secretly. Yeah. Um, you, you arrested us and beat us publicly. So don't hide the fact that you messed up. And I think that this was not just like for personal vengeance. Paul wasn't just kind of like, ah, you know, I want to make sure I get my pound of flesh. You know, no, he, he's I think doing this for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the other Christians in Philippi. Paul's going to move on to the next city, but they're still going to be there. And imagine if you are one of the residents of Philippi, and like here's this guy who's come to town. Oh, okay, he's teaching some religious stuff. Whoa, he cast the spirit out of that fortune-telling girl like whoa there's some power to this but then the next thing you see is a riot in the town square mm-hmm. they're beating these guys they throw them in prison and that's the last you ever hear of them what's in your mind now in connection with the teaching that paul and silas have been doing it's like whoa, those are those guys who got arrested and like they must have done something bad i mean i don't know what they did but by having the authorities bring Paul and Silas out publicly and kind of clear their name, it's also helping to kind of clear the name of the gospel in the community um, so that they know, like, oh, like, they weren't supposed to have done them. They didn't do anything wrong for them to beat them. Yeah, and also just, I don't want to say politically, but just doing the right thing. Justice is, is an important thing through Scripture. And uh, you, you see at the end of verse 38, they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They could get in trouble for this um, mm-hmm. by the higher-ups in the Roman government. And so I hope this not only ensures safety for other Christians, but just in general, they need to do what's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they need to put them through a trial before they beat anybody, not just Paul and Silas, but, but anyone for that matter. And so Paul, I think, calls out the injustice there to ensure safety for other people, especially the brethren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they do this uh, because of the fear. I mean, this isn't the only time Paul's going to play his Roman citizen card, which he was born in Tarsus, which is also a Roman colony. Right. And uh, it'll come up later. You know, he didn't buy the citizenship. He was born a citizen because he's from Tarsus. And um, they, they ask him to leave. They're like, hey, we're really sorry here. We've publicly apologized, but please just leave our city. And so they agree, but they do go visit Lydia and the brothers. Um, I'm not sure how many converts there were at this point. It's at least Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household. I suspect several others. Um, and they encourage them, and then they depart. Um, it's going to be really cool to, to read this chapter, and then later we can read the book of Philippians, which mm-hmm. Paul writes a good bit later to this church. But to think about, um, he'll actually reference the suffering that he experienced here and He'll even reference that in his imprisonment, as he writes the book of Philippians, that the whole Praetorian Guard is hearing about his story. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to think about the Philippian jailer reading that letter, going, "Ah, oh, he's doing the same thing to them that he did to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Great point. Um, but this is a very helpful chapter to see how to keep our cool in the midst of persecution, and how the gospel of Jesus just continues to march on. All sorts of different people are coming to the Lord. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. 
So Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in Acts chapter 17, and uh, we're going to get to talk about Paul going to Thessalonica, to Berea, and Athens, and we're going to see a multitude of responses to the gospel in those three different cities. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to read through those stories and specifically focus in on how Paul addresses a group of pagans or Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe, uh, rate, review. That helps us to reach more people. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to study with you, um, what, kind of like we're doing here on the podcast. If you have Bible questions, or if we can help you in some way, uh, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. And for more information, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.